the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host. Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, here we are. we got another Tuesday with us, a good warm day out there. I hope your day is going well. And I want to encourage you again to take a look at our uh, website for Copper Basin Bible Camp just outside of Prescott, Arizona, and consider sending us your children this June. So they can get out of town, get away from their cell phones and video games and their Xbox and Playstations. And just get outside and have some real fun. Learn more about not just creation, but about God themselves and all those around them. And learning how to, what, what real true unity and joy is. And you can find that at camp. And if you haven't heard about this or heard me talk about it, I'm sure you're thinking it might be might cost you too much. It's only $195 per kid. Now, maybe that that, that does is a lot of money, but that gets you a whole week of camp where we will take your kid. We will uh, lodge them, we will feed them. They will be so wore out when they get home, they'll be, they'll sleep for a week. It is fantastic. You won't find it cheaper anywhere else. I guarantee it. We've got the best place. Check us out at the website cbbc.life. See that website? CBBC stands for Copper Basin Bible Camp. And you just put a dot life, L-I-F-E at the end. Learn all about the camp. See pictures. And we're adding more to that uh, every month. And I hope you're able to do this for you guys. If you you need help, let me know. Email me, Chris Macy, all one word, at outlook.com. And like I said... Find a lot of joy up there, but you know, do, do do your kids though? Are they do they when they you know you get the summer they're so happy they're so joyful they're they're happy but then school starts again. What happens to that joy? Does it go away? Or maybe they they are joyful because the sports and all that's coming, but then they lose their game. What happens to the joy? Or when things are going real well, they're they're on a date. Right, that, that guy they always wanted to date, and they're so happy. There's a lot of joy, and then the guy dumps her, or she, things don't work out, and they have to split. And then what happens to joy? goes away. But Scripture tells us, like 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Or what Paul says in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Always. Now that doesn't mean to say that even when we are... Uh, sad about experiences we have in this life that oh we can't we have to smile and laugh anyway no you can still have that sadness of experience in this life 
But there's a particular joy that will always be there that can never be taken away. Much like Job. Not much like it is Job. When Job lost everything he had, lost his uh, children, all his, his material blessings, and what did he do? He fell on his knees, tore his clothes, and said, The Lord has giveth, the Lord has taken us away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Still had that joy. Miserable, true, in his experience, but the joy of what was going, that God was still with him, and he knew he was right before God, could not be taken away. How can we, you and I, experience this inexpressible and this glorious joy? How can we rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of what is happening in our lives? Now, those must have been important and often asked questions in the first century as the church faced ongoing and ever-growing persecution. And so I want us to look at how Peter answers those questions. Our inexpressible, our glorious joy is based on a number of things. And the first thing is that our joy is based on God's mercy. Here's what Peter writes. <coughs> Excuse me. He writes this at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, or writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter began this wonderful section with a sweeping doxology regarding the wonder of our salvation. And it all, it all begins with God's mercy. We would have no opportunity for salvation or joy if it were not for God's mercy, right? It is God's mercy that, it is, uh, that is the motive behind everything that God does. If you really stop and, and really think about that, God's mercy focuses on our miserable and our pitiful condition as sinners. His mercy is his compassion toward us, of uh, uh, all of us. We were all dead in our transgressions and in our sins. All of us were once in a wretched and in a helpless condition because of our sin. Remember Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5, uh, that God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Because of God's mercy and because of his son's death and resurrection, we, you and I, have a new birth into a living hope. That's that baptism in that watery grave raised up into a new life. That's for us. So we know here's where it began. And, and because of this, all of us, we should certainly rejoice because of this memory, because of this memorial. That, and that's really that's what baptism is. Uh, now, is baptism necessary for salvation? It is, because it is a command of God. Does the water uh, save us? No. Does my act save me? No. But God looks and he sees my faith. That's one thing I do agree with those who say that baptism is not necessary for salvation. But they do say that baptism is the outward sign of an inward faith. That is true. That is absolutely true. I agree with that 100%. But I don't understand why they don't see that you have 
to be baptized. God said so. And so when you don't do that, God's out there thinking, but I thought you said you believed. Why won't you do what I say? But Lord, I do this and I do that and I believe this and I believe that. Not all those who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do what? The will of my Father. That joy of knowing that you have done the will of your Father. Raised into that new living hope. And all of us who've done this, we have a cause to rejoice, right? God loves you. He is merciful towards you. Gave his one and only son to die for you. So that you can be forgiven and live with God forever. Don't you think that that is something to rejoice about? To have joy? Absolutely it is. Now that brings us to our second our second point. Jo- our joy is based on our inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Peter writes, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Everyone knows what, a, what an inheritance is, right? <clears throat> that is a uh, when wealth is passed down from person to person at the time of a person's death. Some of us will receive an earthly inheritance. Maybe it's a house, a car, or jewelry, cash, whatever it might be. Receiving an earthly inheritance, is that good? Yes, absolutely. We all want that. But receiving a heavenly inheritance is much better. The earthly inheritance, eventually I will die. And what I have, whatever I have left, will go to my kids. Hopefully something but it, you know, I won't be able to take it with me. It's not going to last forever. I'll get an inheritance. Maybe it'll fade away or the economy will tank. And what good will that cash be then? Or the house will burn down or the car will wreck or whatever it might be. It will grow old. It will perish. It'll fade away. But the inheritance in heaven will not. As Christians, our names are written in Christ's last will and testament. He's left us an inheritance. He goes, he goes there to prepare a place for us, and it will be eternal. And Peter reminds those exiles in Asia Minor, and us as well, that even in the midst of persecution, they, we, ought to praise God and patiently wait for his promised eternal inheritance. So what is so great about that heavenly inheritance? Well, Paul or Paul, sorry, Peter, used three descriptions uh, for this. Help us appreciate our eternal inheritance. Let's take a look at those here for a second. He said that our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Or it's unfading. It can't perish. It can't spoil or fade. So let's look at these. What does it mean for something to be imperishable? That, That simply means that it is not liable to death. That it is not subject to destruction. It cannot be lost. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be broken. It cannot be ruined. Undefiled means that it is unstained, unpolluted, that it is a a flawless and and perfect thing that we will receive. And then uh, it will not fade away or unfading. Literally describes that a flower, a flower that does not wither and die. And being used in this context, the term means that our heavenly existence, inheritance, will never lose its magnificence, ever. Just like, you know, when you buy a toy for your kid. Boy, the joy in their face, right? Oh, Dad, it's what I've always wanted to make my life complete. 
four days later, why don't I have a skateboard like Bobby down the road? Right? <laughs> it lost its magnificence. Heaven will never lose it. Always be great. It will never grow old. It will never wear out. It will never disappoint any of us in any way. How about that for some rejoicing? Everything, <clears throat> everything about our earthly experience is characterized by things that perish. They're uh, uh, defiled or, or they fade away. Nothing in our world is permanent. Nothing. Our bodies wear out. Our houses and our cars, our stuff, prone to be lost, stolen, broken, or ruined. But everything about our heavenly inheritance is the exact opposite. It is safe. It is sound. Kept in heaven for us. And once we receive it there, it will always remain the same, great and glorious. If that isn't a cause for rejoicing, I don't know what is. Number three. Our joy is based on our faith. 1 Peter 1, 5 and 6. Peter continues, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We note, first of all, that it is through our faith that we are able to be protected by God's power. That word protected, oh, excuse me, sorry. That word protected is a military term, and it means guarded or shielded. And, and the verb here, that the tense of it, reveals that we are constantly being protected by God's power through our faith. We are not shielded by our own power, but by the power of God through our faith. And if our faith remains true, then God's protection will keep us until the end of our lives or until Christ comes, whichever comes first. And then Peter says <clears throat> that all of this causes us to greatly rejoice. That term translated greatly rejoice, is, it's an intense, expressive term to uh, supremely and abundantly be happy, a happiness that is not tentative, a happiness that is not based on circumstances or superficial feelings. And it is in the present tense, which conveys a notion of a continual joy. And do you notice that this great rejoicing was able to be done in the face of suffering? Rather than allow severe trials and persecutions to steal their joy, spoil their anticipation of future blessings in heaven, genuine believers with a biblical perspective, know that such suffering actually can add to their joy. Biblical perspective. What I mean by that is your faith. Because that's what faith is. It's biblical perspective. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you're standing here on earth, you're able to look up with your spiritual eyes and see heaven. Not that we can literally see it, but we see it because of the Word of God. And we know it's there. That's faith. And that gives us joy. <clears throat> now, the remainder of verse 6, uh, Peter here lists features of the trouble God uses to prove a believer's faith. To prove genuine. First, Peter notes that their troubles, our troubles, are for a little while. It's transitory. Literally for a season. It means that 
it's going to pass quickly, much like our time on Earth. I know, I know it doesn't feel like it's passing quickly when we are going through tough times. Uh, Paul, remember in Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen, he writes this: "For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison." It, what we're going to get is so much; it's worth it, far worth it, because it's eternal. Number two, back to Peter. Peter notes that the trials may cause us to suffer grief. In other words, these trials bring real pain. And pain here refers not only to physical pain, but also mental anguish, sadness, sorrow, disappointment, anxiety, all these things. It does. But if, it, uh, if you continue to have that joy, it's proving something to you of how genuine your, your faith is. Third, Peter notes that there are, uh, there are various I'm sorry, there are various trials. For the Christian, our troubles will come in many forms. The Greek word here literally means many colors. Peter, you know, you know Peter uses the same word in chapter 4. Uh, many, the word for various trials, many colors, that's the, the literal Greek word. He uses it in chapter 4 when he points to the diverse forms of grace. So you have many colors, many various trials, but you also have various forms of grace, many colors of it. Whatever trials, God has the grace for it. Just, just as trouble is diverse, God's sufficient grace for us is equally diverse. It is sufficient for every trial. Verse 7, Peter goes on to explain why these trials come and why we rejoice in them. He says in verse 7, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the assaying process of gold is a process for examining a metal's purity and determines its true content and worth after all impurities have been smelted away. By analogy, God tests our faith, the believer's faith, to reveal its genuineness. Peter used gold in his analogy because it was the most precious and most highly prized of all metals and was the basis for most monetary transactions in the ancient times. Just as fire separates gold from the useless dross, that's the the impurities, so God uses suffering and trials to separate true faith from superficial profession. Are you really a believer? I'm going to show you here. Let's find out. And COVID showed a lot of congregations how many people had faith in their congregation. It did. But even though gold can be purified when tested by fire, gold is also perishable. Proven faith, however, is eternal, making it more precious than gold. True faith will ultimately come through all of life's troubles and trials and will obtain eternal honor from God. True, saving faith and its resilient work, good works, always receive divine commendation. And all of that will be revealed at the end when Christ comes and then the judgment. Ultimately, Peter was challenging his readers to allow their faith to lead to joy even in the midst of their trials because their trials lead to glory. In light of the blessedness of salvation, 
no earthly difficulties should diminish a Christian's joy. Salvation's joy is not some, you know, a brief, shallow, circumstantial emotion, but rather it is something permanent. It is profound. Salvation's joy results from the deep-rooted confidence that we possess eternal life from the living God through the sacrifice, the crucifixion, the risen Christ. Now, let's move on to verses 8 and 9. Peter concludes this point, not, not everything, but he concludes this point by saying that our faith becomes so strong that even though, this is verse 8 and 9, even though you have not seen him, God, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So there it is. That's, that's faith, right? The ability to see the unseen. I haven't seen God, but I love him. I know he exists. That's my faith there. And I greatly rejoice. And I like how Peter says, with, rejoice with joy inexpressible. Because how do, you, how do you explain it? How do you define it? I have done thousands of sermons here at the North Valley Church of Christ. Thousands. Of those thousands, I've done quite a few directly on joy. Many times I bring up joy. And I always struggle with, how do you define it? How do you explain joy? You can't. You can't. Not fully. You have to experience it. And you can only experience it if you have the kind of faith that Peter is talking about. Those who live in a personal communion with Christ experience a joy so divine, can't communicate it, humanly speaking. Such joy is beyond our expression. Next point. Okay, so Peter <clears throat> Peter concludes this section. This says, our joy is based on God's prophecies and promises. And Peter concludes this section with these words, verses 10, 11, and 12. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the living hope and the inexpressible joy that we now have in Christ is something prophets and angels have longed to understand. Imagine being one of the prophets of the Old Testament who were given prophecies about the new covenant and the coming of the Messiah. Imagine knowing that the glories of this new covenant were not for you before or for another time after you were dead and gone. Imagine being angels who have this holy curiosity to understand the kind of grace that they will never experience. They didn't need to be saved at that point. The fallen angels had already fallen. They couldn't be saved. The holy ones, 
They, they sought to understand salvation so that they might glorify God more fully. They wanted to know. Why did Peter think that this should be so encouraging to, to them and to us? Because no matter how difficult life's trials are, we, Christians, we can face them triumphantly because of the greatness of God's mercy and our heavenly inheritance. Things the prophets of old studied, preached by the apostles, and angels longed to look into. They, they had these things. It was like the spirit, the mind of Christ was already in them. They knew. But man, they, they weren't going to be there to, to, to enjoy it, to see it. All these things were given for our benefit. We possess their blessings, both now and forevermore. And another thing, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and following, where it talks about Jesus going to the cross. And it says that and for the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross. The joy set before him. What joy was that? What that cross and what he was about ready to go through, what that was going to do for you and me. When he got on that cross, he knew that the sins of the whole world was going to be put on him. He who knows no sin, he was going to take on that sin. Oh, man. And he knew the kind of joy that was going to produce for you and me, what that was going to do for you and me, and that brought him joy. That's what he wanted. What's his purpose? The purpose of Jesus was to save sinners. There is really no reason for us to lose our joy when we can tap into all the present and future realities mentioned in this passage. Our joy is based on God's mercy. Our joy is based on our inheritance. Our joy is based on our faith. Our joy is based on God's prophecies and promises, stuff the prophets and angels could only wonder about. We possess it. And Jesus told his disciples before he died in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And Jesus found joy in that. So did Paul. And they, and they all, that they, their whole focus and purpose was to save sinners. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Jesus came to save sinners. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 verse 1. He, why, why did he do all the things he did? He did? He's all things to all men so that he may save some. That's our purpose. If we are really Christians, genuine believers, and we have this joy, why aren't we taking on the same purpose of Jesus and his disciples? Save sinners. Think about that as we close this program out. Let us redeem the time. Make the most of it with the joy we have, expressing that joy to others so that we can have the same purpose as Jesus and his apostles. Thank you, and God bless. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.